At Skyview, we strive to love God and others through generous hospitality and meaningful friendship. For more information about Skyview Church, please visit us at www.skyviewchurch.ca. Thank you. So uh, I've been sharing with you over the last few weeks how significant it is to understand Scripture that Acts is about uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of anybody who's willing to be used of God to spread His gospel. Uh, it's easy to read Scripture and to focus on the wrong thing. And, you know, one of, the, one, of, one of the important tools to good biblical study is to ask what it meant before you ask what it means. So, in other words, what, did it, what happened there? What, what was the reason this happened? Who was it said? All those kinds of questions. But I presented to you that the overarching theme of Acts is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus instructs his disciples and says this very clearly. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. The, the essence, the, the thesis, the theme of Acts is bearing witness through the empowerment of God's Holy Spirit. I want to say to you that if that is important to understanding the book of Acts, it is essential to understanding our calling as the church. We have been called to bear witness. We have been called to bear witness to who Jesus Christ is and who God is. And who Jesus is is demonstrating to us the infinite love of God. Uh, it is so essential in any business we know to stay on track with what your purpose is. It is quite essential for us as a church to remember what our calling is. It is so easy to get sidetracked. We can become about many things. We can become focused on doing even good things. But we must remember the essential thing of what God has called us to be as a community of faith. And that is to bear witness to Jesus. Can I get an amen? So here this morning is a portion of scripture that is quite interesting. And I have just a few thoughts on it. And I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. I'm going to read from verse 1 through 7. And this is what it says. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented them to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And then in verse 7, so the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. What happens before Acts 6 is that the Holy Spirit comes on one of several Pentecost, fills them with such an incredible power that they are able to articulate in every language the message and the hope of Jesus Christ. The scripture teaches us through the anointed preaching of the word of God, Thousands become followers of Jesus. This movement from its fledgling uh, origins of just a few apostles has now gained momentum in a very short and rapid time. 
thousands were becoming a part of this community. And as many of us know, whether it be in, in our secular jobs or if we look at, 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 at growth in general, that growth often presents us with challenges, with problems. Here we find that thousands have become a part of this community, and in the thousands that have become a part of the community, there are two distinct groups, the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews. They are all Jews. What we do know is that the distinction was probably primarily linguistic, that the Hellenists were Jews whose habitual language was Greek and who attended Greek-speaking synagogues. Uh, the Hebrews, on the other hand, spoke Aramaic, which is a Mishnaic Hebrew, and attended synagogues with the service was conducted in Hebrew. The sum end of all of this is that as the numbers grew, one of the calling of the Christian community, and we find it all the way back in the Old Testament, is that they would care for the poor in their communities. It was something that they took seriously, something that they did. And so, when you know, and if you've studied Acts, you know in the, in the opening chapters, we learn that people did radical things in order to put into a communal fund. They sold property in order to build up this fund. They gave of themselves sacrificially in order to have a fund in order to meet the needs of those who are poor. I want to say to you that if you were to study Scripture, you will find that there is literally over a thousand references to doing justice and caring for the poor. I would suggest to you that it is a very Christian responsibility to always consider that the poor will be with us. And that we have a calling to a justice. We have a calling to be responsible with our resources. We have a calling to open our eyes to the fact that there are people less fortunate than us. I have to say this to you. We are tremendously blessed in this country. We are blessed in so many ways that it is easy for us to raise a generation of young people who would not realize just how fortunate they are to have some of their biggest challenges be choosing between a black or a white iPod. We live in a community of faith that is tremendously blessed. We don't own a building, but God has blessed us with this facility. We can worship here, come rain, shine, sleet, snow, hailstorm, whatever Alberta weather can throw on us. We have been blessed beyond measure. And with this great blessing, to quote Spider-Man, comes great responsibility. And see, I just spoke to students. <laughs> All my references are on movies. Uh, one of the most important things we ought to recognize is that we are called to care for the, less, the least of these. Uh, I, when I started here at Skyview, there was a sense in which God really led me to believe, and I still do believe, that He has a plan and a purpose for us. Uh, I, I've shared with you very honestly over the last few years that I, I want to know what that plan is, and God hasn't given me this great insight as to what it is. But when I come back to Scripture, God is constantly tethering my heart with His heart. You know, there's a song, I think it's entitled Hosanna. It says, break my heart for what breaks yours. There's a sense in which when the church begins to be filled by God's Spirit, we start to care about the things that God cares about most. And it makes us selfless. It makes us sacrificial. It makes us do things that other people would consider to be just a little inappropriate and ridiculous at times. But when God is the primary in our life and we start to care exclusively about what matters to Him most, all other treasures take their right place. I've said this to you before. When you make God the priority of your life and love Him ultimately first and foremost, you are better able to love your spouse. You are better able to love your children. You are better able to love your career, you are better able to love your success, you are better able to love all these other things that if we overlove them becomes the idols of our lives. When Jesus is primary, 
and the Holy Spirit works within the life of a believing community, it is concerned with the welfare of others and it reaches out to them. So what happens is, is that this problem is brought to the apostles. The everyday allocations of food were made to the poorer members of the community from the common fund to which wealthier members had contributed their property. Uh, what, they, what, what the apostles did was interesting. They avoid, avoided uh, ignoring the problem. Any person here knows that if there's a potential problem, even if it's a very practical problem uh, in your household, the worst thing you can do is ostrich the problem. You know, dig your head in the sand and hope the threat goes away. You know, pretend that somehow by avoiding it, pretending that it's not there, that it's not there. So the apostles don't do that. They don't ignore the problem. They don't belittle the problem. They don't over-spiritualize what they do and dismiss the problem. Uh, but they also didn't jump in and take on the problem themselves. Uh, I, 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 I studied the scripture and I was, I was thinking about this. And I thought, how often in my life when I experience problems or challenges, uh, you know, in Christian community or in ministry, my natural default, my first reaction is to try and fix the problem myself. It's very individualistic thinking and it's very Western thinking to think that we have to figure it out on our own and do it ourselves. When I was thinking about this morning, the, the dedication of children, I realized what a communal, uh, a communal responsibility that is to care for our children. How important it is that we do not, for the sake of our children, continue uh, to, to build up this individualism in our Christian faith and community that makes everyone believe it's just up to me and my faith to get it all right. We need one another to live this faith. We need one another to live this faith. I thought I'd get an amen from this side of the room. I'll try over here. We need one another to live out this faith. You know, we need the kinds of people we can go to and just be ourselves and say, you know what, I'm dealing with things, I'm going through things. Now, I know that sounds awfully uh, emotional for us. Some of us don't like to be that vulnerable. But some of the greatest victory and help in my own life as a Christian has come when I could be vulnerable and open with people I trust and who loves the Lord. People who will speak to me and encourage me in profound and important ways. So in any case, this idea of community is important and pervasive throughout Scripture. And what we see is that the apostles, by refusing to jump in and just fix the problem by themselves, they do a few things and they do it really well. You see, they want to guard the mission and make sure that what God has called them to do through the power of His Spirit, to witness and to bear witness to Jesus Christ, to bring the good news from His Jewish orientations in Jerusalem all the way to Rome and every Gentile in between, that they were not going to own this problem personally, but that they were going to share it with others. This practical problem reveals some incredible truths this morning. They reveal some priorities to the community. And just stay with me for just a second. The first thing that they did, they didn't jump in, they didn't ignore the problem, but the first thing they did was to share the problem with all the believing community. They wanted the community to be involved in recognizing that there was a dilemma and that the answer to solving the problem did not just come from them, but would come from within the believing community. I want to say to you that as Christians in community of faith, it's one of the hardest things that I think I have found since I've been here is to get a vested buy-in from everyone that this is their church 
church, their community, that what happens here matters and that they should have a part and a place and a personal sense of responsibility to what happens in this community. I think one of the things that hurts the church is when we lack to be committed to a specific community of faith. Now, hang on, Stu, don't go there. Okay, I know this is a little this is a little maybe too personal and tough, but I can say this to you folks that when you have a vested interest in a particular place of worship, you 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 behave differently, the problems matter to you, and you will be a part of the solution under the Holy Spirit if you so allow yourself. If I could challenge you just flat out straight this morning, you have to decide which community you belong to. Now I know, you know, pastor, you shouldn't preach messages like that. That's not how you build numbers. That's not how you grow a church. But I have to say to you folks, I, I, I met with, uh, I met with uh, a few young people and one young person came up to me uh, during the course of, of this, uh, of this uh, series of services I was speaking at. And, and uh, he... <laughs> He said to me, you know, here's where I am, here's what I'm dealing with. He says, you know, but I, but I attend about four different churches. And I said, why that? He says, because I don't believe in denominations. And, you know, the good thing is most times when people say that, I can always say this, neither did Jesus, you know. Jesus didn't believe in denominations. Oh, I should say at the time. But what I would say, and which I said to him was, it is so essential that you understand church is not supposed to be the kind of place that offers you everything that you think makes you happy and content. Neither is church a perfect place because it's filled with imperfect people. But as Eugene Peterson has pointed out time upon time, church, where the Spirit of God is at work and Jesus is proclaimed and the Word is ministered to, is the perfect place to create disciples who grow up in the fear and the love of God and learn how to live out their faith in real ways with real people. The commitment to the community is an essential part of an effective growing church. And I say this to you with all the love in my heart because I do believe that we sacrifice much in our current culture in a context when we lack the kind of community commitment that we see is called from the first church, the early church. Not only did they take their problem uh, to all the disciples, the gathered church, the growing church, but the apostles clearly defined their priorities. I want you to look at verse 2, and you have it in your bulletin as well. This is what it says. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said... It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. You know what comes out here? Is that the apostles makes it very clear. We have priorities that we feel we're called to. And if we were to do what this uh, problem requires being done, we would neglect our calling and our priorities. Have you ever thought of it this way? If they said yes to waiting on tables, they would have to say no to that which God has called them to. It is the same for each and every one of us in this room today. If we do not say yes to what God has called us to, we're saying yes to things which would take us away from the calling that God has placed upon us. I want to ask you this morning, what has God called you to? What has he called you to, and very specifically, in ministry, in church, uh, as a part of this believing community, we're not all called to be uh, uh, specific in, in, in one area. We're called in different ways. I think God empowers us and gifts us differently. But I have to say to you, at the end of the day, if God has your heart, then your primary responsibility is to live into the calling that he's equipped you to live out. 
And when you don't say yes to him and his primary calling for life, you may say yes to other things that might be good, that might be right. I think no one would probably have looked at this apostles and said, you feeding people, man, it's so great to see our leaders get in the trenches and do the hard work. I got to tell you, there's courses they don't teach in Bible college. One of it is how to stack chairs and how to pick up garbage. And I wish they did for ministry students in particular. Because if some ministry students graduate and they think, they think, man, it's all about how, how well I do and stand in front of people and get things right. And, and I want to preach. Have you, I don't know if you've met this, this kind of student, but I've met the really exuberant, excited student. He's going to change the world from the pulpit. Well, you know what the truth is? You never do that in real community. You learn to serve. To be a preacher is, is, a, is, a, is a bonus to the calling to serve the people of God in a loving way. There are times where I have to do those things. And, and I'm not belittling a serving ministry. In fact, I think... And this is me getting a little sociological, okay? And I know I have an expert in the room, so I have to be careful. But I would say this to you. We have diminished the significance of hard, meaningful service type of work in our communities this day. We don't believe in it, and we don't think it's as good or as meaningful as some of the other things that we esteem today to our own detriment. You know, we have areas of, of commerce and economics. We have areas of business in which we cannot find Canadian people to serve because somehow we've bought into this idea that it's below us to serve. And meaningful work is so essentially important. Serving work is important. It was important to the church. And as the apostles responded to the problem by saying that we have to focus on ministry of the word and prayer, they were not belittling the significance of meeting the very physical needs of the people. They just knew what their primary calling was. And if they had stepped in, they would have deprived seven men, two of whom we know to this day, both Philip and Stephen, played a phenomenal role in the continuing evangelism that took place in the church. Think of it this way. If they stepped in and did that, they would have deprived the seven from ministering in incredible ways. As a part of this community of faith, God is calling you to not just be a volunteer. I, I've heard enough of that. You know, I, I, you know I, this idea that, that volunteerism is, is to be esteemed as the way in which we serve in Christian community. I want to encourage you to volunteer your time in organizations. I want to encourage you to volunteer and give up your time. I think it is godly. It is, it, is, it is reflective of a care and a love for a fellow man. But in the church, there is not a volunteerism, but there's a sense of responding to the mission of God. It is a ministry that God is calling you to embrace. He wants you to take it seriously, to treat you with the dignity and respect that when you serve tables, you serve it to the glory of God and the purposes of God. And in serving the tables, they prevented a great potential for division in that believing community. You know, the Hebraic people and the Hellenist at that point could have just parted ways. The scripture doesn't tell us whether there was any deceit going on in the distribution of food, but that there was a perceived problem. And sometimes all you need is a perceived sense of injustice for it to become a real big problem. 
All you need is just for something to be left undone long enough for it to escalate and become something that you don't want. Can I say this to you folks? When we have potential conflict, this is just a side note. This is free of charge, okay, Dan? This is just on top of everything else, okay? If you ever have potential conflict in a, in a, in a relationship, a problem, potential, and you even just sense it, you know what I've learned the hard way? Go there, have the hard conversations as soon as you can because if you don't, you give room for, for, for continuing mistrust misinterpretation and what became a small little it was a small little issue becomes an incredible issue in your life but the Holy Spirit gives the apostles enough discernment to know don't jump in involve the community in what's happening appoint seven men now I got to speak about these seven men for just a second they have honorable reputation they were wise you know uh, we we sometimes over spiritualize things and I don't want to do that this morning The, the most important qualification was that they would be filled by the spirit but they also had to be men who had a good reputation and that were were competent in a very practical way we need in our community of faith Skyview Church let me say it very clear and very straight not just men but women who love Jesus with all their hearts and seeks to be filled by His Spirit consistently. And we need your expertise, your abilities, your wisdom, and your gifts if we are going to continue to grow in the way that we see the church can grow when people embrace the work of God's Spirit. Some this morning need to pray about ways in which God is inviting us to be a part of his ministry here. You know, when I, when I go away, and I, I, I don't do it a lot, but when I go away and I speak at other places, and one of the first things that I, I, I observe is that the first few sessions are incredibly tough because I don't know the people. You know, I, I feel, and I've said this to groups before, I feel like I'm being dropped out of a plane, you know, which I never would do, by the way. The daredevil in our family is my wife. And she would do that kind of thing. But I feel like I'm being dropped out of a plane and on the way down I have to, have to kind of brace myself from impact and then quickly determine where I'm at so that I can go in the right direction. Does this make sense to you? But with you as a community of faith, as I get to know you more and more, as I get to see your lives, as I get to hear your struggles, as I get to live life with you and become aware of what God is doing and where the challenges are coming from, I feel a sense of such incredible calling to you because I feel that real ministry always happens in community by the power of the Holy Spirit and He enables us to go deep. We want to go deep as a community of faith. And you can't go deep when you don't spend time. You know, this sense of of being a part of this church that God wants to bring about in our community, I believe wholeheartedly, is going to take some of us beyond our comfort zones, but it's going to take us into a place that maybe our hearts has long lasted to be a part of. Let Let me also say, there is no ministry too small when it serves the purposes of God. There's no act of service too little when it serves the purposes of God. The reality that is brought to bear is the fact that the apostles knew what their primary tasks were. To neglect that which God had called them to would not be the right thing to do. The apostles recognized their primary role, but also understand that you and I need to clearly know what that is for us. 
We must keep our church's priorities clear so that we will not become sidetracked from accomplishing our mission. You see, the truth is that serving the poor is proclaiming the good news. Preaching the Word is proclaiming the good news. And one of the most significant uh, features of every Pentecost and every movement of God throughout the book of Acts that there was a people who were called to pray. A people that God so deeply impressed upon their heart the need to pray. Now, now I'm, I'm growing in this area. You know, I, had a, I heard a preacher who I respect a great deal and, and love a lot say this recently, you know, at, at a big conference where, where there was all these young upcoming preachers. He said they, they wanted to know how you preach so well. You know, what do we need? Give us the ABCs on how to get there. And this is what he says. He says, uh, uh, time. <laughs> he says, when I listen back what I sounded like 15 years ago, I hope I don't sound the same anymore. You know, there's a sense in which God matures and grows you up. And, and I'm, I'm learning all the time. So when I stand in front of you, please don't think that I, I even have the slightest notion that I have it all together. But I do know this, that no great movement of God happens apart from prayer. And that prayer is, I believe, more and more calling that God puts on certain people's lives. Maybe you're looking for a way to be involved in a Skyview Church. Maybe you're looking for a way to, to connect. Uh, you, you, you don't see yourself on the worship team. And, and for our sake and everybody else's sake, you shouldn't be singing on that worship team because God hasn't gifted you that way. Uh, but, but could it be that, that God has placed in your heart at a, at a, at a, very, you know, at, at a time in your life a deep desire to want to intercede for our church? You know, we need intercessors. We need people who would pray, not only at prayer time, but people who would keep our church before the Lord in prayer. You know what prayer does? Prayer does change things, but it does this more significantly than any other change. It changes us. We need people who would be called to the ministry of prayer. I have some thoughts on that, and I don't think it's appropriate to go too far with that, but to say this to you, oftentimes we neglect that which God has called us to primarily because we put more value on the tangible things as opposed to trusting God, which is what essentially prayer is rooted in. You see, uh, the only way you can measure prayer is by how many people showed up. But that's the wrong measurement. You see, if we believe that when we appeal to God to shape us, to change us, to use our experiences so that our church would bear witness, we we don't want to just be a good church that people like. We want to be a church set on a hill, a light in a dark world. We want to bear witness to the love of Jesus Christ and the grace that has saved us all. We don't want to be in people's faces. We want to be in their lives. We want God to empower this community of faith. And I got to say to you, we would be misgiven, horribly misgiven, if we thought it was just a about how well we can do things. We need God's Spirit. And one of the ways that God's Spirit consistently shows up in the church is when God's people pray. I guarantee you, if Scripture bears this out, which I do believe it does, when more of us start praying, it would change the very landscape of our church. If more of us start praying, we will grow in ways that goes beyond numbers, and we will grow deep roots in our faith. We would develop the abilities, the discernment, and the gifts necessary to reach our community for Jesus. 
You know what I realized when I went to the States? There are certain parts of the States where it's so completely, utterly uh, acceptable to speak about Jesus. You hear him playing on the radio. You hear people talking about them. And someone asked me, they said, what is different about you in Canada to us? Because you sound just like I do. And I said, thank you. And I said, one of the, the differences that we know is that we believe in Canada, we are a lot more post-Christian. Well, what does that mean? Well, we, we, we don't have Christianity in, in such an influential place as it once was, and culture and everything has moved on. And as I thought about this conversation, I recognized that that's what they faced in the early church. The gods of the Greeks... They face the philosophies of their day. They face things that you and I, till this day, are becoming more tunely aware is out there. But by the power of God's Spirit, He gave them the words and the language, the ability, the acts, and the service to grow the kingdom of God. I want to say to you that when you begin with culture, you will be overwhelmed. When you begin with the problem, you will be overwhelmed. But when we begin with God and His sovereignty, His greatness, nothing is impossible for Him. We need people who are called to specific areas of ministry to enable the church to be an effective witness. And verse 7 teaches us, So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The mission continued. The word of God spread, and many more became disciples of Jesus in Jerusalem. I, I want to end on a very personal note, and if you're visiting with us, I apologize for this, but I want to say to our community of faith, we do have some challenges that we are facing as a community. One of our challenges here is we, we own land out in Harvest Hills, uh, you may say, how is that a challenge? Well, we own 3.4 acres of prime land. Beautiful land. It overlooks a golf course. I can see myself in my office <laughs> overlooking the ninth as I prepare godly-inspired sermons. And all my analogies are about golf. We have owned this land for a long time. The land is quite valuable, as most of you would know in Calgary. We have received offer upon offer to purchase that land, low-balling us, of course, but nonetheless offers. As a pastor, I have prayed, and we have done work, and we have a land committee that's constantly working on doing the research. Our problem is, is that we do not have the financial ability to build a building by ourselves. You know, the truth is, in Scripture, it, it does teach us this. Nothing for the kingdom gets accomplished without faith. And I think, you know, there's a, there's a disillusionment that we have. We think that we'll, we'll magically have a number in our bank before we know we're ready to build. And that's not the problem. The problem for us is the problem we face should not distract us from the mission that God has given to us as a church. But instead, if we possess the land, will it enable us to bear witness to who He is? I need you to pray for discernment and wisdom. 
Because everything we do in this church, every program, every cent we spend, every decision we make, we want to weigh that out and say, God, is this what you want for us? Is this where we need to go? Folks, I I want you to hear, I'm bringing the problem to bear on the community. I'm practicing the scriptural mandate right now. And I'm saying to you, pray along with me that God would make it clear for us. Intercede. Ask. One of the other problems we face, challenges you face, don't leave yet. I'll, I won't stop on challenges and problems. Is that since I've been here, we've grown. You may not know this, but when I started here, we were averaging attendance between 50 or 60 people on a Sunday. If I think, I think I'm being honest about that. In the last two and a half years, we'll grow to the number of people we see here today. God has blessed us. And with that growth has come the challenge of, of adding to the pastoral leadership. I, I, I need wisdom and discernment as to how to grow in the right way, the right person for that position. I want you to pray. I want you to pray that God would grant me discernment. One of the other things that that I want to end up as a challenge, I think that as a church, we've established a great community of faith here. We we love one another. Most of us uh, do. Uh, We love being together. But in terms of reaching out, as a community and affecting change in our communities and even across the world, we need help. We, we, we need some people to sense a calling of God to step up and, and help us in areas of ministry from as practical as, as helping with some of our children's ministries and more volunteers for our youth to people who would volunteer and feel a sense of calling to be host for small groups starting in the fall. We need someone to say, you know what, I'm not going to lead a small group, but I'll open my house too, and, and, and you can come and have someone lead a small group. We need someone who would say, I, I would take on, if you provide the curriculum, I, would, or I don't even need your curriculum, Stu. I, I, I will just write my own if you're that godly. We need some people who would just kind of start thinking about ways in which they can serve. But don't limit. Do not limit what God wants to do through you when you don't see the opportunities in our community. The greatest responsibility you have is to what God is calling you to today. As I close... um, I invite you to develop or to receive the holy (laughs) optimism that when God is filling his people, he will build his church and we will bear witness to it. That the greater days for Skyview lays ahead. Amen? That God has a plan and he has a purpose. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you that we can learn from the ways in which others discerned. Uh, I thank you, Father, that you empower your apostles to lead in effective ways. They, they included others, and others were empowered, and, and they served in ways that were profound. Stephen went on to be the first Christian martyr, not necessarily what any of us wants. But clearly, Father, you called men and empowered them to service, and We need spirit-filled, wise people to lead. We don't want just wisdom or smarts. We want spirit-filled people. And Father, we don't want just people who are spirit-filled without wisdom. We need both. 
We also need people who develop a sensitivity and a calling to pray and to pray for our community of faith and to pray for the needs in our church. We have many. We have serious health concerns in our church. Father, I pray that you would lay upon the hearts of your community of faith, call out people who would be prayer warriors, intercessors, people who would stand in the gap on behalf of others who are not able to bring their request before you. I pray, Father, that as we do these things, you would remind us and keep us on track with the mission that you've placed before us and that we would change our world for Jesus right here, starting at home in Calgary. Amen.